Chapter 17, Part 1, from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. Good morning! It is Family Worship Sunday, so we do have our beloved youth with us. Glad to have you all here. And as you've greeted me, can we greet Alex? Good morning. Woo! Alex is doing our scripture reading today. He's going to be reading God's word to us. It's a lot of text, right? And Alex did a fine job of it first service. He's going to do it again for us singing a service. So let's hear the word of God from Alex. John chapter 17, verse 1 to 19. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you, you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you, to those whom you, were, you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know ev that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your world, and the world has hated them, but they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Amen. Let's give it up, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> it's, that was great, right? All right, let's commit this time to God together. You could bow with me, and in your own words, let's just uh, pray that God's word would pierce, God's word would encourage, God's word would rebuke, God's word would heal, and God's word would form us.
Father, we invite you into this place. Speak to your people. Fill us with your spirit. Open our ears and our hearts to hear your word. Open our eyes to see you, to encounter you, the living God, that we might know you just a little bit more today, that we may be made like you just a little bit more today. All glory, all honor, all power are yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last week, we looked at Jesus bidding farewell to his disciples. And he was, he was wrapping that up. He was giving them last-minute words, last-minute teaching, heartfelt words that he had for them. And now that he's done that, he prays for his people. He prays for his disciples in chapter 17. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a long one. So we have a lot of text. Jesus prays often. We see that in the Bible, right? Jesus goes off to pray. No matter what's happening, no matter what the crowds are doing, no matter what's going on, Jesus goes off to be alone and he prays. We see it a lot. But it's not so often that we get to hear the very words that he's praying. We don't get, always get to hear the very words he's praying. So we should note that this prayer is very important. If Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is praying these words, we should pay attention. We should pay attention to what he's praying because these words are important and they should teach us how we should pray. Kids, kids, I need you to, to look at me for a second. How many of you raise your hands unashamedly, raise your hands if you have been forced by your parents to pray. Oh, he raised his hands before he, I even finished. <laughs> and then he looked at his mom. <laughs> if you have been forced to pray for a family dinner, yes, I see some of you victims. My, we, we always used to force my nephew to pray. And he'd be like, what do I pray? What am I supposed to pray? I'm six. What am I supposed to say? But sometimes faith is like that for us, even in adulthood. What am I supposed to pray? Jesus, in his prayer, gives us a direct guide to what we should pray. Understanding his prayers and understanding what he's praying is so important. I want you to picture it like this. How many of us have sang a song that we don't really understand the lyrics to? Right? When I was in middle school, I used to listen to Nirvana all the time. I had no idea what he was talking about. No clue what was going on. And then when I learned what he was talking about, I was like, oh. Oh. Right? How many kids do you hear like they're rapping this song that they heard on the radio and you're like, oh. Right? Context is important. Context is key. Jesus' prayer should shape our prayers. Amen? Amen? All right. I'm not really a points person, but I have six things. Six things Jesus has a heart for that he shows us in this prayer. This prayer is divided up into sections. The first is about Jesus and his relationship with God the Father. And then he goes into Jesus and his disciples. Right. So we're going to look at verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven. 
And he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Right? Jesus is requesting to be glorified. Glorified. That word glorify, it means to praise and to worship. Praise and worship your son that your son may praise and worship you. Right? This is very accurate for that word, glorify. But I also want to pair another word or a phrase with it. That phrase is make renown. Make renown. Make him famous. Jesus is requesting for the work and the character of God to be made known. Jesus wants people to know about the goodness of God. Glorify your goodness, God. Glorify your work. Why does he want this? Because it deserves to be. It deserves to be glorified. Our God is a God who deserves to be glorified. Amen? Our God is a God who deserves to be made known. And that's our first heart here. Jesus has a heart for God's renown. Jesus wants people to know the character and the goodness of God. He wants people to know him. God wants people to know him. Exodus 33, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness, this is to Moses, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Moses asks God, show me your glory, God. And God says, I will pass my goodness before you that you might know me. If we knew if the world knew the goodness and the character of God Almighty, they would and should respond with worship. It is something that deserves to be worshipped. And so we as God's body, God's church, God's people, we need to be on mission for that. We need to have a heart to make God's name known. Amen? Amen. Verse 2, for you granted him authority, so it means power to act, over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. All right, so for you means that this verse is building on the last. So we're talking about making God known, his renown. Right? Jesus was granted power to grant eternal life. And so this is like a big catch phrase for us to hear. Right? Eternal life. Jesus has a power to give eternal life. But more than that, he defines eternal. He literally defines eternal life for us. He says this is eternal life. That they know you. Eternal life is that they know you, God. And so we have to build this connection here. There's a connection that we have got to make here. First point, God desires to be known. God desires for, to be known. Jesus desires for that. Jesus desires for God to be known, for God to be glorified in that way. If that's the case, and if to be known means to gain eternal life or to have salvation, then the connection that we're making here is 
God desires for his people to be saved. God desires for his people to be saved. If God desires to be known and to know God means to be saved, then God desires for people to be saved. And that's our second heart here. Jesus has a heart for salvation. Jesus has a heart for salvation. And this is the work of redemption that we're talking about. Last week we talked about going through labor pains, right? The pains that a woman goes through. Going through these excruciating pains to birth new creation into this world. New life. Reversal of curses. This is the heart that Jesus has for the salvation of his people so much for. So much so that he left glory, came to die on the cross. That's how important this is. Jesus has a heart for salvation. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Okay, so this is kind of like a throwback, right, to John 1. All the way back to John 1. I'm going to read it. In the beginning was a word. The word is Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is creation. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is a mystery about Jesus in his divinity. A mystery that we cannot fathom to know. Because it is before, before us, before all things, Jesus was with God in that beginning, united in such a way we cannot describe, having oneness with God in such a way that we cannot describe because he was God too. And in him, all these things were created, right? So it's not like Jesus doesn't have God's presence when he's praying this. No, he does. But Jesus desires for that presence to be magnified. Jesus wants more of that presence. And that's our third thing. Jesus has a heart for the presence of God. Jesus has a heart for God's presence. We should have a heart for God's presence. We should be in pursuit of God's presence. We should have deep desire for that. Desire, longing for God's presence. Amen? All right, so thus far. We're doing well. Track with me. We have three things. A desire for God's name to be known. A desire for salvation. A desire for God's presence. Right? And this should shape our prayers. This should shape our desires. Have you ever felt desire in your heart? Desire. Deep longing desire. My nephew's 10. He's 10 years old. Starting to get into Pokemon cards. I never thought booster packs would be like a big thing again. But we've started this thing now where for, you know, Christmas, birthday, whatever. We will buy booster packs and open them. And he will take out, we will have, he will have me take out my phone. And we will go through every card. And we will Google the value of every card that he gets. How much is this one worth? 50 cents. No. How much is this one worth? A dollar. No. How much was this one worth? Five dollars. Wow, it's a keeper. It's a keeper. He said, Uncle Doug, how do I get a $20 card? 
you gotta find a twenty dollar card, no? Uncle Doug, can you just buy me a twenty dollar card? <laughs> well, I would have to spend more than twenty dollars to buy your twenty dollar card. It's Uncle Doug. I need the twenty dollar card. Why do you need the twenty dollar? I need. The twenty. Can you explain to me with your words why you need? I don't know. I just need it. And, but do you understand where I'm, where I'm going at? He has this deep longing for this shiny holographic card. He says, "I need it. I need it." But in that same vein, have you had that type of desire in your heart for God's name to be known? Do you need? People in your life to know the name of God, the name of Jesus, that they would have salvation in their lives. Have you ever so longed for God's presence in your day? They say, "God, I need to be with you right now. I need it." Track with me. This is Jesus's heart. Verse six. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, right? So Jesus is talking about again about revelation of God the Father, His character, His goodness, His purpose. They were yours; you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Right. So again, we're talking about when receiving this new birth through Jesus. Right. Those who believe in Jesus, they have received this. They are being made new. They no longer belong into this world. Right. So, verse eleven: I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one. So Jesus is leaving, and he's showing deep concern for his believers. So much so that he prays for protection over them, but this protection that he's praying is not protecting his people from harm's way or from hard times. He's not saying God protect them from hardship. He's saying God protect them so that they may have unity. Unity. This is our fourth thing. Jesus has a heart for unity. Unity is a concept in Scripture that is extremely important. So much so that unity comes up in almost every single book of the New Testament. It's all throughout Old Old Testament as well. All throughout Scripture, you see and you read about unity. How we need to live for unity, protect unity, build unity, promote. Unity. This is Ephesians four from the Apostle Paul. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you: live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Live a life worthy. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity. Make every effort to protect unity. Live a life worthy of your calling. What is a life worthy of your calling? One that builds to protect unity. Why? Because the unity of God's people is powerful. The unity of God's people is powerful. And the world will do everything it can to break it. The world wants to divide the unity of God's people. The world wants to divide the unity of God's church. And think about it. We see those types of cracks in our church. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about church capital C, right? It's Black History Month. It's Black History Month now. And yet we still cannot agree on the value that black men and women deserve, the equity, the dignity that we have for them. We can't agree about their hardship. We can't believe their hardship. We can't agree that children dying in Gaza is a bad thing. We cannot agree. Unity is power. The enemy wants to see us broken in that way. We must come together and preserve, fight for, and protect unity. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Right, this is the rejection we're talking about. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus says, I'm not praying for you to take them out. I'm not praying for them to avoid this hardship. But Jesus does pray that we are protected from the evil one. The evil one is Satan. The Hebrew root word for Satan means accuser, slave, uh, adversary. He's a driver, a relentless master in that way, in his lies. Accuser, adversary. Now, it's not that Jesus is concerned that the work of the cross is going to be undermined. No, that's not possible because this is God's redemption plan. But again, we're building on this verse by verse. If we're drawing from the theme of protection that he's brought up, we're talking about Satan being against the unity of God's people. And one of the most devious, darkest, most powerful tools for an accuser to use is shame is shame. Something that will break our unity is shame. Track with me. Deep shame. I'm not talking about shame when you feel embarrassed because you did something silly. Deep shame affects how you identify yourself as a person. Deep shame then affects how you identify how others perceive you. 
It affects the way you see yourself and affects the way you see others seeing you. It affects all of your relationships, pervades your mind in that way. It creates lies in your heart and your mind. This is what an accuser will use. Jesus is praying for protection for his people over it. Kurt Thompson, he's an MD psychiatrist. He wrote a book called The Soul of Shame. We did a sermon series on this a, while, a long time, like five, six years ago. Shame actually disrupts connections in your brain, the synapses that promote relationships. So when someone experiences shame, when you scan their brain, those areas in your brain, they go dark. They go dark. Shame is what makes you create false narratives in your mind. Drawing conclusions that don't really make sense. Making you unable to trust the relationships that you've built. The relationships that you have. Why? Because you're a mistake. Because deep down inside, something is wrong with you. And deep down inside, something is wrong with them. You become critical because you are critical of yourself. And then you begin to fall down this rabbit hole. Your mind begins to feel isolated. And you begin to break away from the body. Shame prevents us from seeing and feeling that we are deeply loved, deeply pursued, and deeply cherished people. It'll cut you off from a loving God. This is the fifth heart of Jesus. He has a heart to heal us of our shame. Jesus wants you to be free of shame. Jesus wants you to live into the identity of a son and a daughter of the King of Kings. Your father. Your God. Some people don't like being called a child of God. They feel like, oh, it's like, I don't want to be a child. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. That word child, think about the relationship that that word depicts for us. The closeness of a child. The intimacy of a child. The reliance of a child. The dependence of a child. The proximity of a child. You know, I forgot where I saw this, but I was watching this video and this guy... He's like 30. He's married. He lives cross-country. He's in California. His parents are in New York. He was mapping out how much time he would spend with his parents that year. We're going to probably see them three times this year, right? And during, those, during each trip, I'll probably see them for like three hours, twice, right? So three times two, six. Six times three is 18. I'll see them for 18 hours this year. I'll see my parents for 18 hours this year. This year. When I watch that, so we're like sleep training Lucy to like sleep by herself. I, I went into her room. <laughs> I got into her bed. And I was like, I need to spend all the time I can with you right now. Why? There's a desire there to be close, to spend time, to be together. We don't have that time all the time. But when we think about being a child of God, 
God's desire for his people to be close in proximity with him. I've, I've been saying this every week I've been up here. Heaven is a picture of dwelling with God in close proximity. You don't get a separate mansion, a separate house in heaven. We live in the Father's house in heaven. You get a room. You get a room in heaven. You get to be with him. You get to dwell in the same place as God. Okay? There's a closeness there. Shame will make you believe you don't belong in that house. Shame will cut you off. Jesus has a heart to heal us of our shame. Verse 16. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So that word sanctified means set apart. Set apart. Right? Easy enough. To set apart. Keep it special for something. Jesus has a heart for God's people to be set apart. That's our last thing. Jesus has a heart for, uh, for God's people to be set apart. He wants his people to be holy, to be different from this world. And so oftentimes when we think about sanctification, when we think about this idea of being set apart, we have this poverty mindset a lot of times going into it. Oh, that means less. It means less, less enjoyment, less things I can have, less things I can do, less time for myself, less, 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 right? This poverty mindset going into this idea of sanctification. And that's a lie. That's a big lie. Why not think of it as I can have more. I can have more of God. I can have more of his presence. I can have more of his person in my life. I can see more of his work. I can do more of his work. I can be used more by him. I can hear from him more. We need to have a more mindset when it comes to sanctification. Amen? Why not more? Why is sanctification just restrictions on our life? Why can't we live for more if God is truly God, how then are we fulfilling this in our lives? How are we investing into these things? How are we pouring out our time, our resources to pursue these things? We have six things up there, six things that Jesus has a heart for. Do you care for them? Do you care for any of them? Do we want these things? Do we want to see these things in our life? Do we want to see God's name be known, his character, his goodness to be made known? Do we want the people in our lives who don't know Jesus to know Jesus? Do we want that? Do we so desperately desire for God's presence day in and day out? Or is it just too much? Are we just too busy? Do we care deeply for the unity of God's people? Do we fight for that? Do we care to see the healing of shame in God's people, in ourselves, to promote this unity? See, being set apart is such a beautiful thing because God is raising up people, amen? 
God is raising a people, but he's not raising a people just to live nice, neat lives. He's raising a people to build a kingdom. God is raising a people to build a kingdom. See, my testimony is that despite who I was or who people knew me to be, I can testify to God's goodness like this here before you. Kids, how many of you do after-school activity? After-school activity? After-school activities? I'm sure all of you do after-school activities, yes? Some of you are like, yeah. How many of you enjoy your after-school activity? Oh, oh, look at you. Okay, you enjoy your after-school activity. I hated my after-school activities. I'll explain to you why. One of the first after-school activities, wait, do we have Boy Scouts in the room? Boy Scouts? Do we have Girl Scouts? I'm sure we have Girl Scouts because I buy cookies from you. Uh, do we have Girl, we have Boy, all right, so I was a Boy Scout once. I was a Tiger Scout. Tiger Scout, lowest, on the, lowest rung on the totem pole. I was a Tiger Scout, and I feel like my mom thought Boy Scouts was like free daycare. Free activity time. Because she didn't pay the fees. And do you know how I know she didn't pay the fees? Because after a year, you move up. You go from a tiger cub to a wolf. Right? You become a wolf scout. I was supposed to become a wolf scout. And they had a ceremony. They tie like this bandana around your neck or something. They left me back. I got left back. From Wolf Scout. <laughs> Do you know how embarrassing that was? I felt so much shame because I feel like I was like the only child in America that was left back from the Boy Scouts of America. <laughs> and then my mom kept sending me in my Tiger Scout t-shirt. So I stopped going. I, I, like the, my school was literally down the street, so I would stop going. I would just pretend to go. And then you would see like this lost tiger scout just like walking around town because I didn't want to go. But my childhood was kind of like that. I was ashamed. I was ashamed at my lack of. I felt like I always had a lack of. Even well into my 20s, I felt like I had a lack of. I always lacked. When I looked at myself, I saw a lack. I didn't see enough. Kids, who has a PS5? Anyone PS5? You are so blessed, child. To have PS5. You are so blessed, child, to have PS5. God bless your parents. God bless them. When I was in middle school, PS1 came out. PS1. And I lied that I had a PS1. Because everyone was getting PS1 and I didn't have PS1. So I just pretended like I had PS1. Right? Because I had a lack of. And I wanted to fit in. And I didn't think I was good enough. Because my shame told me I wasn't good enough. And I always got caught in my lies. Because people would come over sometimes. They'd be like, where's your PS1? I'm here to play your PS1. Like, oh, I, I let someone borrow it. Right? Like, I don't know. I was a kid. But that pattern stayed with me well into my 20s. Because I always saw a lack of in my life. I didn't understand who I was under God. My identity wasn't formed on his rock. My shame told me I wasn't good enough to be a son. 
My shame told me I had too many flaws to approach God the Father. My shame told me that I didn't deserve to be part of the body of Christ unless I bolstered it somehow, unless I embellished my identity somehow. Maybe then people would accept me with what I come with. No. No. Jesus' prayer teaches us no. God desires for you to know him intimately, to come to him, to be like a child, to stay near him. You're not always going to get it right, but he wants you close because he loves you. He desires you. He wants you to be united with his people because his, he wants his people to live in that way, set apart for this world to be salt and light, to build a kingdom through them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, can we get those six points back up on the screen? Listen, I got six points for you. Choose one, and let's pray for a second. Choose one, let's pray. At this time, let's just let Jesus' prayer shape our own. Let's pray. Pray for God's name to be known, to be glorified. Pray for the salvation of someone you know in your life. Pray for more of God's presence. Pray for unity. Pray that shame would be healed. And pray that we would be sanctified. Pick one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your heart, for your people. You are worthy, God. You are worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. We pray that you would be made known. We pray for the salvation of those who don't know you yet. That, God, that they would hear about this Jesus who came and died for them. And that they would give their lives to you. Jesus name we pray Lord for more of your presence that God our hearts would turn to you when we're tired that we would turn to you when we're excited that we would turn to you when we are with friends that we would turn to you God because your presence is everything 
pray, Lord, for the unity of our church, that you would protect it, you would seal it, you would empower it, God. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would heal shame over the people of God and that those who are experiencing that, any of those things, Lord God, who struggle with shame, we ask that you would release them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, would you release your people? Free them, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, that you would help us move in us as we pursue you, that we would be sanctified, consecrated for you, God, as kingdom builders. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.